Hey, if you open up your Bibles, please, to the Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to pick right up here on verse 12. We're only going to do 12 through 18. And then um, we're going to read through all those verses. And then we're going to come back and we're going to take them, as we always do, verse by verse. Uh, and we continue where we left off. Therefore, my brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice in me. Again, Father, as we open up your word and, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, speak to our hearts by your word, make it so clear to us what God you are speaking to us about to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to make us more Christ-like. And it's by that transformation of the mind and the changing of the heart that you do, Lord, in us, our lives. Just change us. Make us be different than when what we walked into these doors today. And it's by your power of the Holy Spirit. It's by your word and the power that you have and that you bow your name above all names, Jesus, that we come and we worship and honor you. Have your way with our lives this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. <clears throat> now, if we pick back up here, I'm going to bring your attention to some key verses. Because in verse 12, where you see the word therefore, that means therefore or wherefore. Why is it therefore? Why is that therefore? And I'm going to bring your attention to two or more than two verses. Chapter 1, verse 27 is the first one. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then I'm going to draw your attention to from last week, and this is the key verses that he's there for, from, talking about here in the remaining of these, those verses 12 through 18. He says right here in verse 5 of chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as men, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, and that, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. Amen? So with that, therefore, what does Paul say to the believers in Philippi? Notice there, he says, therefore, my beloved, meaning that word means circulate. This, this epistle, this letter is being addressed. This exhortation, this encouragement are for believers and only for believers. You can't take this letter, you can't take this text and then take it out of context and share it and say these exhortation encouragement is also for you as non-believers. Now, yes, it could apply to non-believers, but they don't have the capacity of what Paul is about to tell them. These believers, they need to work out of their salvation or live out of their salvation. It's very difficult for non-believers because they don't have the power of God living within them to do it. So this is for believers. It's for you and I today. And as we see here, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, right? It's a sign of being a Christian. It's a sign of, of a believer. You are obedient to the th things of the word of God. That means you're obedient. That means you're a Christian. If there's someone who says, I'm a Christian and has doesn't care about the word of God and doesn't want to follow and be obedient to the word of God, then you'd be very careful of you using the word Christian. I don't know what you are. Only God knows where your heart is, but your actions don't line up. As we talked about earlier in chapter, uh, chapter 1 and in verse 2, your conduct should be in line with the scriptures as a Christian. They should not be a hypocrisy. It should not be conflicting. Right? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me here? All right. So here we see that he's saying, I know you've always obeyed. Not in my own my presence only. Not, not like children. Like they, oh, dad, mom's coming. Straighten up. Don't say anything. Maybe they won't notice. Oh, be careful. We'll, we'll act a certain way when the pastor's around. But when the pastor's not there, we'll act completely different. No, no, no. You're not immature children. That's what he's saying. He said, you obey. You're mature. You're a, you're a child of God. You're not going to act like immature people or non-believers. You're going to act like believers. You're going to act like children of God here. With my presence, out of my presence, he says, even much more in my absence. Because he's in jail in Rome. He's not able to be there. So many times people think they can only grow and mature if they go and spend time in a certain certain environment with certain people and there is a benefit there's god says do not forsake the fellowship he knows the benefit of believers being around other believers in the, the iron sharpening iron and then learning and growing with one another because god uses each other in the fellowship the main thing the enemy will do and if someone who wants to walk in the flesh the first thing they will do is withdraw from the fellowship did you know that first sign that you're something's not right Something's not lining up in your life. You will immediately think about not being in the fellowship. Not showing up. Limiting the amount of time. Come in <clears throat> when everything has already started and you leave before you, anyone can even ask you hi. Say hi and ask you a question. You're in and out. <clears throat> Why? Because there's, there's something you just know with deep, deep within. Something's not right and I don't want anyone else to find out. But let me, as we see what Paul says here, it doesn't matter if I'm in your presence or I'm, I'm absent from you, you still need to work out your salvation. Now, that doesn't mean you're working for your salvation because we're talking about believers here. They're already saved. They've been justified like they've never sinned before. Their sins have been wiped away as white as snow, as clean as can be. 
What he's talking about now is now living out this, this saved life, living out as a children of God. And it's your responsibility, that's man's responsibility, to live out what God has already put in. The Spirit of Christ lives within you. He's, he's given you all the abilities and the, and the, and the, and, and the, the power that lives within you to be, continue to live for Christ. As he leads you and as he teaches you through the word of God and through your prayer time and through fellowship, God is working in your life to work out your life or work out your salvation or live out your salvation on a daily basis. Remember, the scripture is that we're talking about the Philippian epistle here is the, the book of joy because Jesus is our joy. Our Lord is our joy here. But it's the epistle of living this Christian life. But not just living a Christian dead life, but living a Christian life that isn't filled with joy. Remember, in chapter 1, we, we saw that Paul was able to live a filled Christian-filled life of joy, even in the circumstances and the situations of life. It didn't matter the fact that he was in prison. He still had joy. It didn't matter that people were seeking after his life and want to kill him and take his head off. He still had joy. It didn't matter the fact that he wanted to be over here, but God guided him over here. It still, he had complete joy. And last week, we started the fact that not only joy, you can live a, a Christian life full of joy, regardless if the life situations are really, really bad. We're not saying you ignore those situations. But if you put your, as Paul said, you want that joy? You want the secret of the joy? Keep your mind on Jesus. Have a single mind focus on Jesus, not of the things of the world or especially of yourself. Because the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you will become. And then last week we saw, and even into this week, as we see four examples through this these 30 verses in chapter 2, four examples. We saw Jesus Christ as our example last week. The first verses right here, 5 through 11. But today we see Paul as our example, especially in verse 17. Lord willing, next week, unless the Lord comes back for us, we're going to see two more examples. Paul's little protege, Timothy. And Epaphroditus, uh, the, the, the pastor that came from Philippi to them with the, the generous offering and the letter from originally coming. And he got really sick, as we will, we will see, and he has to be sent back. But not only do you have a single focused mind on Christ in all situations, but also you, we have to have this humble, this submissive mindset of who we are in Christ. And that's what we learned last week. That's the secret of joy. Not thinking more highly of yourself. Not, as he described, selfish ambition and pride to dominate our life, but to be a submissive life. And that is the secret of joy in our life. Now we see here Paul's trying to get across to them and making these connections that he's t talking about in the letter here, that connection between the obedience that Jesus showed there in verse 8 of chapter 2 and the obedience that Paul's expecting these Christians to follow, uh, be as followers of Christ here in verse 12. You have a responsibility of living out to work out your own salvation. That as a child of God, that 
we, you, you don't have, you're not working for your salvation because you're already saved, but you need to work through your, your lives on a daily basis. You need to make sure that as a child of God, of who you are and the new position you find yourself in now and a new nature that lives within you, how is that going to come out and be reflected in the lives of your, in, in your, your reflection of your life? Is, what's the words coming out of your mouth? Is there, a, is there a humbleness to you, or is there a pride, and is there a gentleness, is there a love that's coming out of your life, or if it's something completely opposite of that? Is it, and he was going to give you some, us some very clear examples of what they needed to work on, and it's an exhortation, it's an encouragement that Paul is writing to these believers. They were not told to work for their salvation either, but to work out or to live out that salvation God had already given, given to them. Many times Christians find themselves, I've got saved, now I have to do this, or God's not going to be pleased with me or happy with me. Well, you keep showing up regardless of how you feel, and as the scriptures work on your heart, you will realize you don't have to do anything. He did it all. Working out our salvation or living out our salvation means we desire to do things for God. We desire to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. We desire to please Him. Not because we have to, it's because we want to. Why? Because He went to the cross and did everything for us. Our reasonable response is to what? To love. To love Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's to love Him. And just, and don't put boundaries on God. Wherever he wants to take us, whatever he wants us to do, whatever he, he's, he's going to, as we will see, he's going to work his will and, and, and to do in our lives. That's what he's about. And that's what we're going to see here in verse 13. We see that for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, Paul gives us the, the, the reason why Christians must work out their salvation, to live out their salvation with fear and trembling, because God is working in them. Now, they don't do it because God's going to smite them. The fear and trembling means you have an awe and wonder in, in the fact that God is a righteous God, and you live and honor God. See, God hears all things. He knows all things. He's everywhere. And so you think you're by yourself. You're not by yourself. God is, lives within you as a Christian. You think you're thinking things that no one else can think and see and what you're thinking. No, God hears and sees everything you're thinking, everything you're looking at, and you, maybe no one else may not know it. But God knows it. Do you live a life every day knowing and recognizing that God is present with you? Regardless if you're by yourself or with a, a group of Christians who remind you that you're a Christian. It's easy to, when you're around Christians to know that you're a Christian. Because all the christian -y stuff gets popping around. But then when you go to work, you're reminded that you're not in a Christian fellowship. You're in a worldly fellowship. One that has one's completely opposite of what God stands for. But like Paul that did not change his joy in working out his salvation because God had him there in that place for a purpose and for a reason. Why? Because God was working in both to will, to, both to will and to do his good pleasures. See, we can take great comfort 
that God is actively working in your life exactly the what he wants to do. He's in all sufficient grace. His grace is sufficient and it fills us and works and dwells within us. And it's almost like a, like a living water is described in the scripture that you can take your cup and take your bucket and just dip into it and partake of it. It's a refreshment that is not stale and poisoned water. It's refreshing living water. Do you, do you dip into the deep well, fresh well of God's presence every day? Or do you, are you just drained? Are you dry? Because you're not partaking of the living water that lives within you. Paul's saying you need to work this out. You need to understand what God is working in you. He's working in you the actual the will of God into your life. Do you hear him? He gives you this. Once you became a child of God, the first thing he works in your life as a non-believer is one thing and one thing only. And that is to get you to a point of understanding of who Jesus Christ is as your Lord and Savior and that you would turn your life over to him and repent. Be willing to change. Allow him to come into your life. And once you're saved, now he says, okay, I'm going to start a... That's justification. Now, sanctification, I'm going to start working in your life and working these things out that were of the world, of the flesh. We're going to work that stuff out. To, to, to like, bring you into my presence, and that will be, be the completion. You'll get a new body. You'll get a new name. With great anticipation, I look forward to that. But in the meantime, he's going to continue to do a work in you as he wills, and it'll be this this in the gut feeling, this gut moment of like, I know God says I need to let that go. I don't know why, but it never had a problem having that in my life. But now I realize that is no longer can be in my life. And I can't justify it anymore. I can't get rid of that knot in my stomach because I know that I got to let go and give it to God. And the gut, God is telling me to get rid of it. It could be a relationship, it could be, an, uh, it could be a subject or object, whatever that little God may be or God's in your life. He's saying, now, now, no longer. Now notice in verse 12, it's about your responsibility, human responsibility to work out your own salvation. You notice that it did not say work out your spouse's salvation. Women, you're not going to change your men. You need to pray for your man because you're going to pray for God's will that he would sense in his gut from God that he has to change things. But you are not the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, who lives within your believing husband, let him do the work in your husband. You pray for your husband. Men, you can't lord over your women. You cannot force your women. You can't manipulate your women. You must allow the Holy Spirit that dwells within your woman to let the Holy Spirit do the work in your wife. You must pray for her. You must water her with the word of God. You're to pour into her life the word of God. I know that's difficult. I know we're inconsistent with it. I know that's not easy. But we're commanded and we must ask God to give us power to continue to talk about the things of God in your household day and night. Worshiping, coming to church together. These things are what God calls us to do. That is his will. 
And if you even an ounce of competing against that thought, you are wrong. You're going against the word of God and you're not being obedient to the things of God. I know it's not easy. I'm a husband. I know what it's like to have a wife try to change me. No, I'm kidding. We'll cut that out of the tape. We'll cut that part out of the tape. I ad-libbed on that. That was bad. She's perfect. (laughs) I should get back on my notes. So it's man's responsibility in verse 12, but 13, it's God's responsibility. So you have this beautiful moment here that Paul does not skirt around, right? A lot of times people skirt around. But when you do verse-by-verse teaching and you do the whole counsel of God, you see clearly that they're on the same page in the sentence next to each other, that there's a God's responsibility and man's responsibility, and they go together. It's a partnership. Don't be in this pendulum swing that you see so many times. Oh, God is in control. God is working in me. I don't have to do anything. I can just live and however he saved me, and that's all I have to do. I can live my life however I want to, whatever I want to do. I can just do whatever. He saved me. No, you have responsibility you need to work out. You need to live out your salvation. And then you've got others who are on the other side. That, that, you know, that Calvinistic view is one side. Then you've got that Armenian view on the other side that says, oh, it's all man's responsibility. God doesn't really involve at all. And you, you have full responsibility. You need to you know, do this, this, this. And you have to really work hard. And No, 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 no. Which one is it, Pastor? Yes. Yes, it's both. God is working in you. Are you listening? He's sensing his will, and he's going to give you the power to do. Are you being obedient and doing it? And that's working that out. That's living out that salvation. Regardless of who's looking and watching. For God works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He does it because it brings him joy and pleasure. And now Paul is not going to lead to kind of, that's kind of, okay, I got that, but can you be more practical to me? Because I'm kind of a hands-on kind of guy. Okay, Paul's going to satisfy you on this one. Look at at verse 14 through 16. He actually gives you practical things to ponder on that he's sharing with these believers in Philippi. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing or arguing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So we see here these verses give very specific instructions, exhortations, encouragements to the believers here at Philippi on how to work out or live out God's good purpose here in verse 13. It's in in this relationship of daily Christian living. And it says, do all things. Not about you, that's that's a strong word, all. Do you notice that? No, all in church is fine. I'm good with that. But you have no idea where I work. No, no, Paul's in prison, and, and there's lots of examples in the scriptures. Can't use that ex- ex- example, excuse. Do all things without complaining and arguing or disputing. Well, you know, 
I don't really complain to God. I just make God very clear that it's not what he's asking me to do. It lines up with what I want to do. Well, you can change the language and use different, and you politicize it and unpoliticize it, whatever you want to do with your fancy words in your mind. But the bottom line is, is we have a tendency to complain to God about the situations and the people that are in our life that are stealing my joy. No one stole your joy. They can mess with your happiness, but it doesn't change the joy. Because joy comes from who? Christ. The weather can change your happiness. But it shouldn't be stealing your joy. Because it can't. But Paul's saying here, he says, based on the letter that he received, that there's some strife we will find out later on as we continue in the book of Philippians. There was strife between women in the, in the ministry. There were, we see both individually str people struggling with complaining and arguing, complaining to God and arguing between each other in the, in the, as believers. But we also see the church as a whole was complaining and what God was doing and not doing in their lives. And he says, practically, Paul is saying to these believers, stop it. You have to work that out in your life. You have to stop it. Because what it's causing is with this complaining and arguing about your situations and people in your life, what this caused you is you, you Paul said, we want you to stop this. So you're blameless and harmless as children of God in the midst of this crooked, perverse generation. Because he recognizes they're right in the heart of this perverse and dark and crooked and wicked generation. He understood where they are. That's speaking of us today. As Christians, we're in this very dark, perverse, and very perverse, and very crooked, very unstable generation that we live in. But we're not to lose hope. We're not to, our joy to be just suppressed by that, our happiness, whatever you want a feeling you're dealing with. You should recognize when you keep your mind on Christ, you keep your mind as submissive and the fact that you're submissive to God and have a, a un, that, that pride, you're just, I'm better than them kind of an attitude. Let that go. You have to work that out. Ask God to help you. Because that's his will and he's going to help you to do it. Because what happens is if you don't stop complaining as Christians and to God and what's going on, and you stop arguing over things within the body of Christ, you become these beacons of light. Because you are light, he says. You're shining in the lights of this world. So it doesn't matter. Once you become a Christian, you become a light. The question is how bright of a light are you? But when you become a light in a very dark world, the dark world can see you from miles away when you mess up. Take a match. People have been in the military, and everything is supposed to go complete darkness because the enemy is coming, and you don't want them to see you. You're to go complete darkness. Absolutely nothing can be of any light. Why? Because you can see it 10 miles away of a match. 
that's what it's like being in the world today as Christians. If you're truly shining, if you're truly letting your light shine, the enemy is watching. And anytime they see something of strife or complaining or arguing within the body of Christ or between a Christian couple or between two people within a church, it becomes a beacon for the darkness to make you a poster child that says, I do not want to become a Christian if that's what it means of the hypocrisy because even non-believers even satan knows the word of god and he'll use it against you in a heartbeat so paul is encouraging stop complaining stop arguing become blameless he didn't say become sinless you're not sinless become blameless and harmless the, the same word in the word for harmless is the same one we see in the scripture that t- talked about being um, as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Gentle, that word there in the Greek, along with harmless, is the same word. It's, it's a just, it's, 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 it's one that is not causing strife and contrary within and around you. You're looking to bring God's peace into the situation. You're not looking to come in and just drop a bomb in the middle of the situation. That is, that's not what God wants us to be as a child of God. And, and because you're going to be this light. You're, it's not like you're becoming lights. No, once you're saved, you are a light. You're a light in this dark world. And a light, what does a light do in this world? It's con- a light causes you to be, to be able to clearly see what's in front of you. It becomes a guide for people. It becomes a, a, a warning for people. To the ship that's coming down the water, that light that sits out there, there is, you're going to crash. This is land. This is dirt. You don't want to be near this. It brings joy. Look at the sun morning when the, and we even worshiped it today. As the sun rises, does it bring the joy? Even a sunset or a moon that's so bright in a dark sky. How much joy do you see? Look at the full moon. Do you see that? Why? Because it's what? Light in the midst amongst darkness. And light also is used for to bring safety. Safety for those who are in harm's way. See, Paul knew that the lights there in Philippi, those believers were in bad space. You can sense it when you see people. You can look in their eyes. You see their countenance. You see how they carry themselves and what they say and they, what they don't say. And you know, they're like these Philippi, Paul knew they're not in good space. Something's not right. And he's encouraging them to make to work it out, to live it out according to God's, God's way. He didn't, he didn't make any excuses the lights for, for the lights. He didn't sit there and say, oh, I understand. It's a really difficult time in your life. Oh, I understand your past father and your mother issues. And, or I understand your boss is really bad. I, I know that you're, you come from a, a broken family. I know you were abused. No, there was no excuses. You're a light of God. 
and God's working and, and through you, let him. Let him do the work. Be obedient. And hold fast to the word of life. It can be also, in I think in the King James Version, yours may say, um, holding forth. But both meanings are true. Paul could have met it in this, like a dual perspective that he, we hold fast in the sense of holding strong. Hold strong to the word of life. We are to hold, hold forth in front of us the word of life. Because we have nothing else to offer anyone in this world except the word. The truth of God. Of who Jesus Christ is. I am the word. You have nothing else to put forth. Put your, your, yourself in front of that? You're in danger zone. That's the pride that he talked about earlier. But we have to put the word, the, the word of life in front. Hold fast to it. Don't walk away from it. Hold, hold dear to it. And as he says here, Paul says, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I, I have not run in vain or labored in vain. See, Paul's looks at his work of what God is doing in and through his life and, he, and he's like is this going to just turn into to be just vain work or it, it, just, it troubled him as he wrote this letter he knew that his work really abided in the people that God brought in his life and he poured into their lives and he just wanted them so desperately to continue in a very strong Strong walk with the Lord. And that was his heart. That was his prayer for each. And it's my prayer for each one of you. That you would walk, continue to walk strong within the Lord. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Let the other stuff that's plaguing you, just let that go away. Just focus on him and be obedient to what his word of God says. Let him his will to be worked into your life and to do and the power and empowerment to do it. Just be obedient and live it out. Don't let the world and, these, and, and bewitched by false teachings and all these other things that's screwing your head and your life up. There's so many things on the Facebook and so many things on YouTubes. and it, It's scary. I almost Sometimes when I sit down with people to counsel or I, I hear people who share, I, sometimes I really don't want to know the, what's going on because it's just mind-boggling to what is available and how dark that is that people have access to. Let me give you a warning, parent. If you are contemplating getting your child who can't even, hasn't even hit puberty yet, let alone hit puberty, and you give them a device, a tool, to access the darkness of this world with a fingertip, you are absolutely out of your mind. You have to be examined. Come see me, because I will put, make it very clear to you. You're out of your mind if you are giving to something to a child who hasn't even figured out life yet. And you're giving them access to the, the most depths of darkness of the pit of hell right at their fingertip. And they don't even have to look for it. It will find them. And unless your child is stable and, 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 and born again in self-control and is mature and there's, I mean, absolute accountability on that device and you're watching and looking at it daily and weekly and keeping them accountable. 
you're not doing that, you are really putting your children at great risk. I can't, I can't, I'm doing more counseling around these things. I've never, and people calling in and pastors and we send talking. It is absolutely ravaging the church because of the access to the things that are going on in their phone because you think they want to be entertained with a phone. Oh, they're being entertained all right. I'm telling you, if you can't see the passion in going on my words and my face right now, then you have to talk to, come talk to me because I'm telling you, I'm warning you as a pastor. You're killing yourself if you're involved with that stuff and you're killing your children. There's nothing more clear I can make it than that to you. Is that clear? That wasn't great, right? I'm usually not too soft. Either. I know. Southers, if you want another church who gives you cotton candy, you can go there, but I'm not going to give you cotton candy. I really, out of love, I'm really telling you, it, I'm seeing more destruction in adult lives and children's lives than I've ever seen in the 25 years of the ministry. And it's ramping up. Why? Because darkness is growing. The Lord is coming back. Why? Because we are in a crooked and perverse generation. I'm going to give you something I think is the most succinct thing I can do for you. Of what the, the balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Listen. A child of God is, a God is in God's family. But the unregenerated are alienated from him. They are his enemies. But God's sovereign plan is to use his word, administered by God's people, to transform his enemies into his friends by the regenerating work of God's spirit. That is why God still has us here and hasn't taken us home. Because he has a plan through your life to take his word and go out into this unregenerated world and to share the gospel of the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for him, for us. And to share that with all the passion that God gives you with all the spiritual gifts he has given you when you got saved, with all the talents and abilities that he has created you with, use them to the most fullest you can to help your neighbor to the left or to the right, that family member, whoever will receive. And don't predetermine who will receive because I have found as I go out myself, the ones with the most hardest of hearts are the ones that typically are the ones will come to Christ more than the ones who have everything together in their life, supposedly, and they don't have any desire or need for the things of God. God wants you to go out and be a light. That light can become dirty and spotted with bugs, like your headlights as you go through the world. Have you ever seen your windshield these days? It's a lot of bugs flying around these days. And you get bugged up. And you have to clean your windshield. That's why we come to the table. Because we want to make sure we clean the windshield. Because we want to see clearly where God has taken us. And we want our light to shine so brightly from our headlights. Because we want people to see Christians 
we live the Christian life according to the word of God. Not hypocrisy, not complaining, not arguing, not living the worldly life. And at the same time, what are you doing this Sunday? Oh, I go to church because my wife makes me. No. I desire to know the things of God and I love God's people. That's your heart today. That's what Paul's saying here. And if you notice here in verse 17 and 18, he says, and here's the example of Paul. He says, and yes, and and if key words there, those two key words in the English language as he puts it, and yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice in me. He says, I may not even make it out of this prison. I may be finding someone coming to the prison right now, opening up the gates, complaining me out to take my head off. But I am glad about it. I am joyful about it. I am willing to do it because that is God's will in my, for my life to be a poured out drink offering upon as a sacrifice for your faith, for my faith, because you too will live it out. Just like I'm living it out. He wasn't depressed. He didn't say, woe is me of my situation. Ooh, my feelings are not good today. He didn't know if he was going to live or not. It didn't change of what God had done in working out. He was just pouring out as it is, or practicing among. Remember, this pouring out related to both the Jews and the pagans. Remember, these were, these were pagans. These were, these were Gentiles that were saved up here in Greece. These weren't Jews. Most of them were not Jews in this area. But either way, they, this drink offering spoke to their heart because even as the Jews would take a sacrifice, they would take wine and they would pour it alongside of their sacrifice. You go back in Numbers uh, 15 and chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, and chapter 28, verse somewhere in the middle, somewhere. Read chapter, I'll try, chapter 28. I can't, the verse that's coming back to me. But you read that and you'll see that that's what would happen. The pagans would do something, the same thing, a sacrifice, but they would use perfume and other things they would pour onto the sacrifice. But these things, this drink offering, this, 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 as he uses this grammar here, I am being poured out in the present tense. Paul's indicating this possible um, uh, execution that was going to happen in his life, and it didn't matter because he was going to bring joy because this is what's God. He'll be in God's presence. It is all good. And he says, you too will partake. You too will be glad and rejoice with me because God has done a work in and through my life, into your life. It's affected you and you're going to have it affecting other people. This is a great life being a Christian. It's good if you live it. You will live out your salvation. Not live out a worldly existence a worldly lifestyle, but live out your salvation. How important it is. Again, we come to this constant or consistent theme in Philippians of joy. 
But this joy is not based on circumstances. It's not based on the people that are around you right now. It's quite opposite, really. It's based on the fact of a, we have a life that is totally committed to Jesus Christ. The joy comes from a total commitment of the, to the Lord of Jesus Christ as your, not only your Savior, but your Lord, the one who makes all the decisions. He's the one who guides your life. And there'll be such a joy filling your life that you would just, it, it's hard to even put words to your mouth to even explain it. I pray that that is where you are today in your walk. As we come to the table, it's a time for you to reflect upon where you are in your walk with the Lord. Where you stand. Is it, are you allowing, are you doing your part to live out, to work out your salvation? Your own salvation? Not your wives, not your husbands, not your children. <laughs> not your fellow Christian, but, but encouraging them to have them live out their, their salvation. Yes, encourage them. Let God use you in their lives to be alongside, to pray for them and with them and help them and guide them. And if, if they ask you to, what, what does the word say? I need help. Or just secretly just praying in your prayer closet at home for those individuals. And they never even know you're praying for them. But God does. And that's what matters. But as we come to the table, we take and we hold that bread, we take that cup for you to be able to examine your life. God, is there something in my life that I have not forgiven? Have I not let, repented of? Have I not let go? Have I not, I continue to, to this, this is destroying me mentally and physically and emotionally and and, and what is it among the body? Is, is there anything I'm doing that is causing the, the, the church not to be blameless? Causing to me to not be blameless or harmless? I'm actually being opposite. I'm actually inflicting pain. I'm actually inflicting these things. God, bring it to light. I want to repent of it right now. I'm going to just lay it at your feet and not leave this place with it. Why? Because God knows. The bugs are going to splatter on your windshield and your headlights. And for some of you who are pretty, pretty strong, you, you're, you're going to create roadkill with your little driving through life. You, you leave a wake that people are like, that's a Christian? Wow, that was a, that was a bad week right there. As we come to the table, we confess all to him. Let the Spirit of God reveal to you. Humble yourself. Repent. Let it go. If you don't want to do that, God says don't, 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 don't take communion in an unworthy manner. Don't take communion because you're just heaping more judgment upon yourself and your own repentance. If you're not willing to change, there's no excuses, eh? We lay it on the table. Hold the elements. And as we worship, talk to him. Worship God, because he's a God of grace, all-sufficient grace. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. He's forgiven you. As a child of God, he's forgiven you. Let him clean up the windshield. Let him do a little squeak clean on the headlights. Let you become brighter for him as we leave this place to go out into the dark world and lead them to our Savior. Amen?